You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast. It is Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. And today our episode is brought to you by the Peacock and Williamson podcast. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the league. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are subscribing to Peacock and Williamson, also subscribe to Locked On Jets. We'll deliver new episodes to your device as they are posted. And give this show a five-star review while you're at it. That helps us out quite a bit. On today's show, we are going to do a mailbag. That's what we do on most Wednesdays. Let's begin. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Our first question, is Denzel Mims further along than Stephen Hill was as a rookie? Are injuries his only barrier to success? So the first question, is Denzel Mims further along than Stephen Hill was as a rookie? Yes. I think that that is a pretty clear yes. I don't think Stephen Hill was ever an NFL caliber receiver in any sense of his game. He was a guy who was drafted purely on measurables because he was big, because he was tall, because he was strong, and because he had great timed speed. And none of those things were really relevant once he stepped onto the field as an NFL wide receiver. He brought none of those skills to the table. I'm not saying measurables are irrelevant, but there's a lot more to playing wide receiver than measurables and just being big and fast are not enough for you to be a quality NFL receiver. He'll, you know, he could not use his size to win jump balls in the air. He could not use his size to break jams. He was a very sloppy route runner. He did not have good hands. You know, one of the things that always drove me crazy about Stephen Hill, and if you are a relatively new Jets fan, you may not remember Stephen Hill. He was a guy the Jets drafted back in 2012 in the second round. He was a big 6'4 wide receiver. He ran the 40 in about 4'3. Everybody was excited for his ceiling, but he did, was not a very refined receiver. He, In fact, he played college in, in an option offense in Georgia Tech where his team ran the ball on almost every down. He never really had a chance to develop. You know, the one thing that drove me crazy about Stephen Hill, though, he would just jump at the weirdest times. He'd be running a shallow cross and the ball would go to him and he'd like break his stride to jump or he'd run like a a short curl route, like a five yard curl route. And he'd jump and he'd like make himself this target. He'd make it easy for him to hit. And he he wouldn't have balance because he'd be in the air. So he'd he'd be separated from the football. I mean, Stephen Hill just had, he pretty much had no receiver skills. You know, he had athletic skills, but he had no idea how to play wide receiver in the NFL. Denzel Mims as a rookie, had moments. Now, I'm not going to say Denzel Mims is a refined receiver. You know, the second part of the question, are injuries Denzel Mims' only barrier to success? No, I mean, there are parts of his game that need to be refined. He's got to learn how to get releases from the line of scrimmage. He also needs some work when it comes to route running. But he's a guy who's shown you that he can impose his size on, you know, he, he, he can use his size to 
win contested balls in the air. Now, the one thing I'd say about Denzel Mims is he was also a guy who was timed in the 4-3 range, 40-yard dash, and as we all know, the 40-yard dash is not a perfect measure of a player's speed. Denzel Mims does not look, at least last year, maybe the injuries had something to do with it. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm just guessing here. Maybe that was part of the reason he did not look, but he did not look that fast last year when he was on the field. It's one thing to run the 40-yard dash really quickly. It's another thing for that to show up on the field. It did not really look like Denzel Mims was that fast last year, but that's not necessarily a deal breaker because he's so big. The bigger you are, the less speed you need because you can go win. You can, you know, you can just use your size to you know, win balls in the air. You can use your size to push defensive backs out of the way, out physical them. You know, a guy like an Alshon Jeffrey has made a career. He's been a productive player, even though he's not super fast, but just using his size to win as a receiver. So, you know, there are things Denzel Mims needs to work on, but, and look, there's no guarantee he's going to have a successful career, but he's, I think he's much further along than Stephen Hill was as a rookie. Stephen Hill was as big of a project as you could get. And, you know, he's a guy who probably should have been drafted much later than he was. I think the Jets, and there may have been other teams that fell in love with his physical skill set. There's more to it than physical skill set, though. Next question, John, since the Eagles won the Super Bowl behind Nick Foles, you've talked repeatedly about how important it is to have a quality backup quarterback. Right now, the Jets have three quarterbacks and none have taken an NFL snap, and the Jets' number one quarterback is a rookie. How big of a mistake would it be to go into this season without a proven veteran? If the Jets do not bring in someone else, does that mean that Joe Douglas is effectively conceding that the Jets will not be competing for a playoff spot this season? I think, well, you know, I have to admit, it wasn't Nick Foles that changed my mind on that. It was the 2019 season for the New York Jets because I was, you know, I, I kind of fell into the the regular NFL mindset that, you know, the backup quarterback isn't that important, that you shouldn't pay that much. It's not that critical of a position. And then I watched the Jets season fall apart in 2019 after Sam Darnold got mono. And the season was pretty much over after week one because they did not have a competent quarterback who could move the team. And that's actually, I think that more than Nick Foles is what changed my mind. So I think you may have, if you were listening to this podcast, then you may have like heard my mind, hear my, you may have heard my mind change in real time as it was happening, as I'm watching the Jets season end after one game. And, you know, in retrospect, knowing what we know now, if Sam Darnold plays those games, you know, probably doesn't change a whole lot about the Chet season, but the offense at least would have been more watchable. Um, so, you know, as far as the, the questions go, it's, you know, I don't know that so much about lacking a proven NFL quarterback because most NF proven NFL quarterbacks are going to have starting jobs. It just, it doesn't seem like they've really put much of an emphasis on finding a capable backup. I mean, there's not a, I don't think there's a ton of upside in the two guys who could be the backup quarterbacks for the Jets. You know, I don't think James Morgan has much ability to play quarterback. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe he'll prove me wrong in this new offensive system, but I don't have a lot of faith in James Morgan and, you know, Mike White, not really a guy who excites anybody. So I think that this has been one of the things that they, and they just have not emphasized. You know, if you go back to last season, they got deep into the offseason before they brought in Joe Flacco. They seemed you know, kind of content to go with what they had until they were able to figure things out with Flacco. And then you know, go back a couple of years, Trevor Simeon was Adam Gase's hand-picked guy. And yeah, you know, like I think one of the things I compare it to is the 2019 Jets to 
the 2017 Eagles, where having a quality backup quarterback was the difference between the Eagles losing a very promising season and winning the Super Bowl. You know, I don't think the, the stakes are quite as large for the Jets, but you might get into a stretch there where, let's say hypothetically, Zach Wilson has to miss maybe two games. I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that if a few things break right, that the Jets could be in the mix for a wild card spot this year. Now, I'm not guaranteeing they will be, but those two, one or two games may make or break your season. And to go into this year with what the Jets have, I just think that that's, you know, that that's a tough sell for me. I, I, you know, there are certain things that I like that Joe Douglas has done. And there are other things where I kind of, I'm kind of left scratching my head and backup quarterbacks. One of those areas where I'm kind of left scratching my head. I don't know that he's necessarily conceding that the team's going to miss the playoffs. I just don't think he's done a good job with it. I think it's one of those positions where he's neglected it and it could be at the jets detriment. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they are always reliably low. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, my biggest concern with the new coaching staff is the lack of experience on the offensive side of the ball. Not only is Salah a first-time head coach, but LaFleur is a first-time offensive coordinator and Calabrese is a first-time quarterback's coach. They will be asked to coach up a rookie quarterback and a number of rookies and second-year players, including Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, Moore, Mims, and Michael Carter. Can you think of teams in the past that have had immediate success with such an unseasoned group of players and coaches on one side of the ball? The one that kind of comes to mind to me would be the Rams in Sean McVay's first season. He was a first-time head coach. He was very young. His offensive coordinator was Mike LaFleur's brother, Matt LaFleur, who now, of course, is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. You know, Jared Goff was a second-year quarterback. Their Their leading receiver, Cooper Cuff, was a rookie that year. You had Todd Gurley, who was in his third year. So, you know... I actually kind of like maybe I'll, you know this could be one of those situations where we look back on it and I th- say what was I thinking but I kind of like the idea of going young on the offensive side of the ball because the NFL so much has changed over the last few years that I, I like having a younger coach with fresh perspectives you know somebody who's open to new new ways of doing things who's trying to be on the cutting edge and there is an experienced guy back in the offensive coaching room in Greg Knapp. He's been around the NFL for quite a while, so it's not all new coaches, but I think there's something to be said for a fresh perspective. Uh, You know, there are plenty of inexperienced coaches who step in and do a really good job. You know, the guy I always look to who makes me believe that experience can be overrated is Romeo Cornell. I've talked about him frequently because when the Browns hired him in 2005 as the head coach, I mean, he was like the most experienced coach you could possibly find. He, there's nobody who could have better credentials than Romeo Cornell. He'd worked under two Hall of Fame head coaches in Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. He had worked his way up from position coach to coordinator. He was a successful assistant. He had five Super Bowl rings. 
He was a terrible head coach. So sometimes experience can be... I'm not saying experience is irrelevant, but I do think sometimes we can put a little too much weight on experience. It's not always about your resume. Sometimes it's about what you're capable of doing. And there sometimes are coaches in the NFL who don't need a very long learning curve. They don't need a steep learning curve. And you have to hope that that's what it's going to be like for the Jets here. Next question. John, while it may be totally irrelevant to the New York Jets in their current state... How much of an overreaction do you think week one will bring? With the Panthers being the alternate Jets, do you think there will be a massive overreaction if we blow out or if we win, if we get blown out or if we win the game? There's always a massive overreaction to week one. I do a show every season based on overreaction. That's what they call the week between week one and week two of the NFL. It's overreaction week where if you win that week, it's you're you're going to go. Your fans are all convinced you're going 16 and 0. You're going to win the Super Bowl. You're going to match the 72 Dolphins. And if you lose, your team will never be able to do anything right. And so many times teams look terrible week one, and they go on to have successful seasons. And there have been many Jets examples in recent years where the Jets look great week one, and they ended up being terrible that year. You know, I think back to 2018, Sam Darnold's first game. Jets go to Detroit on Monday night, blow out the Lions. Look how that season turned out. Of course, 2012, Mark Sanchez, fresh off an extension, goes out there, could not have been better against the Buffalo Bills, and the season fell apart pretty much from that point forward. Uh, so there, you know, there's always an over... And I do think, yes, I think that the question is, with Matt Rule, who the Jets almost hired a couple of years ago as the head coach, with Sam Darnold, who's been the quarterback the last couple of years for the Jets, now in Carolina, who they decided to get rid of to replace with Zach Wilson... Robbie Anderson, who the Jets let go in free agents. There's going to be, I think there's going to be an even bigger overreaction than usual. Will the overreaction be justified? Probably not. We're talking one game. And it's the first game of Zach Wilson's career. It's going to be the first game of Robert Sala's career. One game is, this game is not going to be a game. We I don't think this is going to be a game we look back at as a legacy moment for either guy. But of course, in the moment, I think everybody's going to read way too much into what happened. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. These may be protein bars, but they taste like candy bars. They're delicious. They're covered in chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. And they're healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15. It's one word with no space. L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five. For 15% off at Built Bar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R dot com. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including baseball, basketball, hockey, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Wednesday mailbag show. Our next question, I have heard and read from some reporters and analysts online and on TV that the Jets should not have renegotiated Crowder's contract and just paid the full $11 million. Some of the reasons are, one, the renegotiation could cause tension between the players and the team. 
Two, free agents may be less likely to sign with the Jets in the future. Three, the money doesn't matter because they still have over $20 million in cap space without renegotiating, and they don't need the money. Four, Crowder has been the Jets' leading receiver. Do any of these points have merit? I disagree with these points to varying extents. There are some points I disagree with more than others. I disagree with all of them, but I disagree with some more than others. So let's go one by one. So number one is the renegotiation could cause tension between players and the team. Now, I do believe that if there is a long-term trend of the team screwing its players over, it can have negative implications in the locker room. And I believe that if there is a long-term trend of the team treating its players well, it can have a positive impact in the locker room. But I also think that sometimes analysts are too quick to call out these rationales when a move like this is made. I think, you know, every single time a player takes a pay cut or gets cut for salary reasons, people are quick to say that it's going to cause problems in the locker room. And most of the time it does not. And every time a player gets a contract extension, you hear it's going to send a message to the locker room. Everybody's going to be happy. And most of the time it does not. Most of the time these things do not have much impact. And to the extent they have an impact, people forget them very quickly. I do think that if there's like a long-term trend, and I don't think this is the type of thing that sets a long-term trend. First of all, because Crowder agreed to the pay cut. You know, he may not have been happy with the pay cut, but he wanted to stay with the team. He's still on the team. He did not want to leave. So, you know, what's that tell you? That the guy would rather take a pay cut and stay with the team than go elsewhere? That's got to be a good sign for the team, doesn't it? But beyond that, um, you know, most of these players are new to the team. You know, the, the, the Jets had a major roster overhaul, so it's not like a bunch of guys who are sat who sat around and watched Crowder play well and, you know, Crowder was integral to teams they've been on. So, I, you know, I think that's another thing that comes into play here. And, you know, another thing I'd say is, Jamison Crowder has been a nice player for the Jets. He's not been Julio Jones. He hasn't produced at that level. He's been a you know solid slot receiver. And, you know, you think about his importance to the team. This is not Wesley Walker. This is not Al Toon. This is not Jericho Cotchery. This is not Wayne Krabat. This is not a guy you think of as synonymous with the New York Jets. This is not a guy who's going to be like a ring of honor player. It's not a guy that you're going to build a statue to outside the stadium. He's a nice. He's been a good slot receiver. He's been with the team two years. So, I mean, you know, I think that that it's a little overstated. Now, number two, free agents may be less likely to sign with the Jets in the future. Well, that's just common sense would tell you the opposite. The number one factor that makes free agents sign with a team is money, and the Jets now have more money to spend on free agents because the money that they saved from Crowder's pay cut—that's extra cap space that they'll be able to spend on free agents next off season. So basic math, you know, basic finance would tell you that Jets are now more likely to be able to afford free agents because they have a little bit more money because Crowder's making a little bit less now. All right, number three, the money doesn't matter because they still have over $20 million in cap space without renegotiating and they don't need the money. And now this is the one where I have to be critical of any analyst saying this because anybody saying that cannot remember even two years in the past. Because we've been through, and we've been through this not just two years ago, we've been through this multiple times in the last decade with the Jets, where people talk about how much cap space they have. How many times do the Jets have to have these big spending sprees and not be able to fill their entire rosters, not be able to fill all of their needs 
how many times does this need to happen before people realize that cap space is important? Just because you have cap space now doesn't mean you're going to have it forever. And cap space doesn't go as far as you think. We've been over this over and over and over. So why are we talking in the year 2021 after doing this so many times? Why are we talking as though cap space is irrelevant? That's why you do it. And that's you know one of the things that good teams do is they don't they try and avoid overpaying players. You know, sometimes you have to over, overpay a guy. This was not a situation where the Jets had to overpay. It obviously wasn't. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. That one, that's one where I would really have to be critical of any analyst saying that, respectfully, but I'd have to be critical of any analyst saying that because we've seen this over and over. And here's the other thing. Just because you can afford it doesn't make it a good move. I mean, you got the same player for a cheaper price. How's that not a good thing? How? I don't get that one. That's that's one where I, that's the one I might disagree with the most. And four, Crowder has been the Jets' leading receiver, and this is this is another one where I, they were the worst offense in the NFL. What what the heck does being the leading receiver on the 2020 Jets mean? What the heck does being the leading receiver on the 2019 Jets be mean? These were horrible offenses. Being the best on that means zero. Do you have to pay a guy because he was the best on a horrible on the worst offense in the NFL? What do you what do you pay the guy who was the uh, who was on the best the best player on the best offense in the NFL then? I mean, what? Because he was better than Brashad Perryman, you have to pay him eleven million dollars. Because he's better than Chris Hogan, you got to pay him eleven million dollars. I mean, he, they had no they had no other good receivers. That's why he was the leading receiver on the team. You know what? Look, I, I like Jamison Crowder is a good player, but if he's your best receiver, you're in trouble. And fortunately for the Jets, he's no longer their best receiver. He's a guy who's going to be in the role in a role that suits him better now, and he's going to help the team this year. But I, 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 that's actually, you know, it, just thinking this through, though, if you wanted to keep Crowder, now you're doing it, but now the Jets have a little more money. Isn't that a good thing? How can you be upset about that? I don't get it. And our last question is about our old friend Jamal Adams, who is being pretty vocal about his contract situation in Seattle. He's not happy. He wants an extension. And the question is, does the Jamal Adams situation make you chuckle a little bit? Or at least grin? In all honesty, I could care less about Jamal Adams. Or I couldn't care less about Jamal Adams. He's a guy who was with the team, and now he's not. And to the extent I think about Jamal Adams, I hope Seattle loses a lot of games because means the Jets will get a better draft pick, but I don't know. Like, I don't get too emotional over these players, even when they're good for my team. You know, they're they're guys who it's a business for them. It's their job, and I know that these guys don't really have much loyalty to, to the team, and I don't really blame them because the second they stop producing, the team will get rid of them. So I mean, I don't. To be in all honesty, I don't. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, but. I don't really care about Jamal Adams. I don't really think about him very much. He's a guy who used to be here. I rooted for him while he was here, but another guy. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to be a ring of honor player for the Jets. He's a guy we'll remember as somebody who was here a couple of years, played well, then, then you know, forced his way out of town. See you later. He won't be here the next time the Jets are good. Maybe we'll thank him, you know, to the extent we talk about it. Maybe we'll be thanking him because he gave the Jets draft picks who allowed them to pick great players who helped build the next great Jets team. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy this show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back next time to talk more Jets.